I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And welcome back to more than just a podcast. Uh, we've got a special edition this week. We have no football, football in the winter break. Uh, we did talk about this before. We're lucky enough to have a special guest this week. It's Kieran Maguire from Price of Football. Um, thanks for coming on, Kieran. You're welcome. Glad to be here. And and I know you've had to come through storms and um, well, tell the story you were just telling us just just to get to your hotel this evening. Um, it, I, I left home at uh, 10 o'clock Sunday morning. It's now 9 o'clock Monday night, and I've just got to the hotel. It took me uh, 11 trains and a bus uh, and a tube, but I'm here. And wh- so, where uh, are you here? Where's here? Uh, I'm, I'm in Lancaster oh, okay. uh, at the university. Excellent. Uh, anyway, we, we want to talk to you about West Ham's football finances which obviously came out about a week and a half ago uh you're seen as a bit of a authority on on this subject and nigel and myself probably just wanted to talk through uh what may be how your view on the finances what they mean because sometimes we live in a bit of a west ham bubble uh and we don't see things outside of west ham and 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 hopefully you can give us some some comparisons um, and maybe we can start a little bit gently by what was your overview when you first read the accounts? What what was your view when they first came out? What did they say to you? Um, I, th- I think my overview was that uh, the money coming in has increased, but the money going out is going out a lot faster. So so that turned uh, a, you know, a, a reasonable profit into uh, quite a sizable loss. They're, they're effectively losing half a million pounds a week. Uh, and, and the reason for that is and I know that this probably doesn't go down well with West Ham fans, is that they did spend an awful lot of more money um, on players and on wages. Um, and I think you will probably tell me that that money has not been spent wisely. Well, uh, I think um, it, it's self-evident that, that the money they've invested is is not really um, doing what it was supposed to. The, the figure they give, and, and I have tried to add this up on the accounts, is 214 
million net on new players over the last four years. Is is that a figure you recognise? Because they keep on using this figure. Um. Yeah, I, I make it a bit over the last four seasons, including the summer window. Yeah, that's probably about right. Um, it was it was ninety four million net in 2018-19 it was 40 million net 2016-17 i I don't quite know how much they spent um in in the summer window because it's sort of outside outside of the accounts but yeah it's probably not i I think that figure is is broadly accurate uh certainly in 2019 for the first time in the club's history they spent over 100 million pounds on players yeah uh so it, it has gone the, the average wage has gone up from 49 grand a week to 63. So the players they've brought in you know, it, and the, the, the new contracts that they've given to players uh, are pretty generous. Uh, I think, therefore, what you've got to look at is when I, when I compare to the other clubs in the Premier League, um, West Ham are still a fair way behind the big six. Uh, especially the clubs at the very top, Manchester United and Manchester City. But um, when it comes to the other 14 clubs in the uh, the Premier League, West Ham come out as seventh for income, seventh for wages and, and so on. So they, they are at the top of the next pile. But there's a big gap between West Ham um, and and the, the big six because those other clubs have got the benefit of, of regular Champions League and Europa League income coming in, and you know, with the best well in the world, West Ham is a is is a local club. You know, it's a local club in a city, but it's from a you know it's from a, a working class background. Um, whereas the other clubs have got more prawn sandwich eaters. Mm. Yes, and, and um, that, uh... do you? I mean, I don't know how long. Obviously, you you got a great interest in football finances. Um, I've only been following you. I think you you've been going for a couple of years now. Your, your website, Price of Football, am I right there? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of you know on and off um, the, when, when I get time to do it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been yeah. It's I mean, been around the, for a few years. Yeah. The stick that West Ham fans will beat the club with is obviously they made certain um, claims in 2012-2013 to convince the fans to come with them on the journey and not you know create so much of a fuss yeah i was wondering if you if you had ever looked at that and thought was it at the time do you think they were claims they could have possibly known they were making they couldn't keep or was the finance of football grown outside of the you know in as the top 6 stretched further away in that period yeah yeah the the uh, the gap has has grown um I, I think if you go back 10 years west ham and spurs there wasn't a huge amount of difference mm. in terms of the finances yeah. because if you think about it you're both london clubs you were pl- both playing in uh, uh stadiums of around about 35,000 and yep. you know 10 years ago spurs spurs weren't really getting that much of a sniff of europe either so that, that 10 years ago there wasn't a gap um spurs they signed bail and they made a lot of money from selling him um they reinvested that money which was a bit hit and miss um but they they then 
did make some really good acquisitions and on the back of that they've they've really pushed on um if if you take a look at there there's there's three there's three ways that football clubs get money um there's there's the tv deals which is you know that's sorted out by the premier league so that's that's nothing to do with the clubs themselves um match day income uh west ham in 2019 um and i think this will upset some west ham fans um they made 200 grand more than the final season at the bowling now with the best will in the world that that's a big sacrifice you've given as as west ham fans and and in my view i think you were you were oversold and under delivered by by the people making the promises to you um now now the final season at the bowling was was unusual uh you know you're, you're probably about seven or eight million pounds up on average uh, compared to the previous few seasons to that. But even so, I, I think you would have expected uh, a far bigger growth in the club in, in terms of its matchday finances from moving from uh, the bowling to, to the London Stadium. And, and that hasn't materialised. But, but Kieran, we are seventh, aren't we? So 27.1 million ticket revenue, we're seventh. So we are the next one out of the big six in ticket revenue. Um, and as you say... The, the farewell to the Bolin was an exceptional year from yeah. the amounts of tickets sold. And probably the first year in the, in the London Stadium was a bit of a novelty value, was an exceptional year. So in my view, you look at the comparisons, it's the second, you know, the penultimate year at the Bolin and maybe yeah. the second year at the London Stadium. And you get a slightly bigger realistic growth. And... and, and and as you say, there's a massive gulf to the big six, but we're still the outside the big six. We're still getting the most revenue from tickets, even though our, our tickets are quite cheap. And the only real way to do this, and we've argued about this on the podcast in the past, is put the only way we're going to get more revenue is is make all the fans pay more money, yeah, and and pay more money for season ticket holders like Chelsea and and Arsenal and Spurs do. Uh, I I think that that is true to an extent. But what you've got to do, you've got to look at the mix of season ticket holders. So you can get some reasonable price tickets at, uh, we certainly can at both Manchester United and Manchester City, because I live in Manchester. Um, and and the same is true for Liverpool, because I work in Liverpool. But what those clubs are very good at doing is that they've also got more affluent fans and they've got the corporate uh, hospitality people and they're very good at squeezing them so if if, if you if you're absolutely right that West Ham are seventh uh, on 27 million pounds of match day you then go up to Chelsea 66 Arsenal 69 Spurs 71 Liverpool 81 and Manchester United 111 and see that, that yeah. you're 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 40, you know, 40 to 50 million pounds worse off before you start my figures eighth is newcastle on on 24 yeah behind us that's right yeah Yeah. um and then you know there's a gap so so west ham should not be in the bottom three in terms of yeah in terms of the football table given that they they have a significant advantage you know realistically they've got total income of 191 there's only Everton that are close to them on 188 and all of the other clubs you're looking at gaps of 
40 million pounds now if you've got a 40 million pound advantage over your competitors then that really should be turned into a a reasonably solid performance on the pitch because you you can afford to to buy better players and you can afford to pay them better wages and you know from from the outsider's point of view you are paying the wages you are investing in the fees but not on the right players and I, I think the issue with West Ham is actually a recruitment issue and you know that that's beyond my knowledge because I don't I don't have that skill set but the one thing that you do see with football is normally if you pay people higher wages you get better players and that's not materialized um at West Ham yeah see, the way the way I see it with that though is the, the problem clubs like West Ham is is that actually to attract the type of player that they want to attract they have to overpay sometimes wages to make them more attractive to come and play for us, uh, which is good when they work. But when they fail to fire, like quite a few have done this season, it, it exposes the, the lack of depth. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And, and if, you, if you talk to the clubs that, you know, who, who would you benchmark yourself against? in the Premier League. Who do you Everton. think I'll, I'll... Yeah. So if you look at Everton, they, they had a dreadful start to the season. Yeah. They they, they changed manager and, and they they struck gold. I mean, you know, Ancelotti is is a really good manager. Um, but I think that's and, and he's up in, not money, but in ambition, in that we went back to type with Moyes. Yeah. They went, they went even bigger and went and got Ancelotti, where I was always worried once we'd gone from Pellegrini, what would come after? Because Pellegrini on paper is the best, you know, the most uh, highly decorated manager ever appointed by West Ham. Um, The problem was, is that it was never a long-term solution. It was always short-term because of his age, realistically, and what he could achieve. And he was never a long-term manager at any of the clubs he'd been at. Um, they went out and paid Ancelotti the money he wanted, showed ambition, and look, it's changed their season around, mm. hasn't it? Mm. Yep, yeah, and I think the other issue is, um, you know, I, I'm not here to pass judgment on the West yep. Ham owners, but if you look at the the new owner at um, at Everton, which I, th- I think you're absolutely right, that is the perfect benchmark club. Um, he came in in 2017. And since then, he's pumped £350 million into the club. Now, Golden Sullivan put £45 million into the club when they took it over at around about 2012, which was to sort of stabilise things. And since then, there's been no further investment. Uh, so if, you, if if you've got somebody that's going to put in £350 million, he, he can then afford to go and recruit the likes of Ancelotti. Um, and 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 they've they have spent they've spent a lot of money in the transfer market. You know, think Sigurdsson, uh, Richarlison, uh, Iwobi, Walcott, yeah. uh, you know, Michael Keane. Yeah, that they they have spent huge sums. Even Pickford. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, um, how does that sit with financial fair play? Because this is something our owners have used in the past you know, that, that they have to bear in mind financial fair play because a lot of fans are going to be looking at it and thinking, here's two clubs similar size, Everton West Ham. Everton's owner, Mashiri, 
uh, yep. and possibly Usmanov, but we don't really know. Three uh, hundred yes. odd million pounds spent. You know, or he's invested in the club. They've spent more than that. He's put in three hundred odd million pounds into the club. Our owners only ever put money into the club large scale was when we was relegated last time to make up shortfall. We've had this financial fair play thrown at us time and time again. How does Everton manage to do what they do? Because a lot of fans will be asking that. How do Everton do what they do and not fulfil financial fair play? Well, um, what Everton have managed to do is that they sold Lukaku for £85 million. They sold John Stones for £50 million. Um, they sold Ross Barkley for what £30 million. So they, they've brought in a fair amount of money. Um, I think they started from a much lower base than West Ham because before Mashiri came in, they had to write, they had to operate a fairly tight chip. So to a certain extent that he didn't have that much, he didn't have any legacy problems. He didn't have players on, on big money when, when Mashiri walked through the door. So he could go out and effectively recruit whoever he wanted because Everton were nowhere near the financial fair play limit. Um, I look at West Ham numbers and I don't think, you know, financial fair play says that you can lose uh, £105 million over three years. If you take a look at the accounts for West Ham for the last uh, three years, add those together, they've made a profit of £30 million, So they could have spent an extra 130 Right, OK. And I don't think they use that one any, anymore, to be honest. We, we are going to I come have back done to, in the part. No, we'll come back it, to you because we're going to talk about debt and, and loaning, etc. Kieran, I just wanted to go back to commercial revenue because I've always been told commercial revenue includes uh, corporate hospitality, that the ticket revenue covers basically season tickets, general sale, etc., the match day revenue, but the commercial revenue covers um, sponsorship and and corporate hospitality is is that correct it, it it varies from club to club uh some some stick it in match day and some stick it in commercial so you're never quite sure what you're well, comparing that's what i've been told by the club and i have yeah, some contacts that's, that's within enough. the finance department yeah. as well so there was a 14 yeah, that, percent increase there i mean that was supposed to be the big earner that obviously we went from some pretty rubbish um boxes in the in the bowling ground and some oh, tired old lounges dragging Kieran into an argument God, I disagree to, West Ham <laughs> 70 boxes uh, at the bowling ground and the West Stand had more boxes in one single stand than any other ground in the London or in the country but the, the model the, the, the model is to move to the lounges model. and I think well, yeah. rather than individual boxes well, the move was always based at the bowling, maxed out the corporate at 2,500 and that they could get an extra 1,000 in. Yeah, 3,600. Anyway, my, my question is, is that is that an area of growth? I mean, it's a 14% growth on the year sounds to be quite good. We're, we're in commercial terms, we're ranked, I think, eighth behind That's right. Everton, who've got 41 Um what what are Everton doing better? Are they selling better commercial sponsorship deals, or they've got be- uh, more expensive corporate um, hospitality? What, what what are they doing better in this area? They've got Usmanov, <laughs> and uh, let let me let me explain 
what Mr. Usmanov is doing. Um, the the Everton uh, training ground is now called the USM uh-huh. training ground, and that costs him twelve million pounds a year. Right. So if, if you knock twelve million, so so there the reason go. why he's sticking that money in is that Everton would be very very close to falling foul of uh, of FFP unless he stuck in some money so it's it's a bit like a bit the manchester forced. city etihad deal yeah um you know you look at it and you go hmm um so i, I think actually west ham are are doing okay um certainly the you know, the money if if you go back to the the penultimate season yeah. uh at at the bowling it was 22 million now it's around about 36 so yeah. you've got you've got you've got to give some credit there because it's it's a fair increase and they're signing three-year deals each time they've just renews three-year deals so when you buy corporate uh, hospitality you have to buy and and there's been a market increase and I, I i don't know how much you follow west ham but the amount of commercial deals they bought a new commercial officer called Karimin. he was bought, bought in actually as a digital officer but he's now the chief commercial officer and and there is a deal every other week, you know, following Man United, you yep. know. This this is the official toothpaste. This is the official, you know, digital money. This is the official, you know, every week. Uh, this is the official energy drink. The, we we have been seeing a lot of those, but I'm guessing that the whole Premier League do those kind of deals now? I, I think they do. But again, if, if you look at some of the other numbers, uh, Southampton, you know, West Ham at 36... I think you got to take Everton's with a pinch of salt, yeah, uh, because those those are fr- there's a lot of friendly money in that. <laughs> well, I did want um, about that. Uh, Palace so at eighteen, Watford yeah. fifteen, you know, Brighton eleven. So, you know, so I, I think you're uh, you're doing okay, okay. Uh, but it's you're doing you're doing very well compared to the rest of the other fourteen. But then you've got Spurs at 109, Arsenal 115, Liverpool 150, uh, Chelsea at 200, and, and United at 275. So if if the story that was told, and I don't know what was said to the West Ham fans. You know, I, I don't, you know, you, you hear stories, but you're never quite sure. If the story was by going to the London Stadium, it will allow us to potentially get closer to the big six. Yes. I, I don't think that's realistic. It was one step further. It was, we will be in the top six within 10 years kind of message. Right. Well, I mean, I, if, well, we're three years into that and I think the gap's getting bigger. Um, and, and I think the disadvantage that West Ham have, again, if you, if you sort of benchmark them against Spurs, that the model that was undertaken by Spurs which was, we're going to rebuild our own stadium. Spurs can now hire that out 365 days a year, and they can get the the commercial benefits from it for 365 days a year, and they can use it as a multi-purpose stadium. So when when they've got the the NFL nonsense taking place there, it will sell out for 62,000 tickets. Uh, Spurs will make all the money from the beer sales, from hiring out the pitch to the NFL teams. Um, They'll be getting a broadcasting cut. Um, Whereas West Ham, when the the athletics takes place in the summer or when concerts take place, they don't get a bean. And I think that that automatically, 
if, if you're effectively saying that West Ham can only have commercial income um, coming in from sort of 25 to 30 days a year when they've got home matches at the London Stadium, that automatically puts a ceiling on how much money they can work out of the stadium on non-match days. Yeah. Do you yeah. think it was a good deal that West Ham got for for the stadium? It's it's a thing that the you know it often got levelled as the deal of the century. You know, did did West Ham Football Club get a good deal? Yeah, I, I think in terms of the rent they paid, I, I think it was uh, a fantastic deal. You know, two and a half million quid when 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 the local authorities are paying for the flags and they're paying for the, the, a lot of the maintenance as well. Um, I, th- I think that's that's a terrific deal, especially when um, they're now losing thirty million pound a year for the whole stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so so the, you know, that so those costs, which it's, it's a bit like it's a bit like comparing renting a house to to buying a house. You know, if you go and buy a house, uh, you think about the uh, the storms we've just had. If, if your fence is blown over, you're thinking, oh Jesus Christ! You know, I need to get those replaced. You know, the slates off the wall, and have to go and get a, a, t- a, a roofer in. That's going to cost me money. Whereas if you're renting, you just phone up the landlord and say, "Come round and sort it out." And, and that's that's the benefit that West Ham have got on an annual rent of two and a half million quid. So yeah, I, I think from from that perspective, you, you've got to give credit to the people that negotiated the deal. And do you think it puts businesses off, you know, potential buyers, not owning a your own stadium? Because fans often believe we don't own our own stadium. You know, we sold the bowling ground for 38 million pounds um but often i point well it doesn't it doesn't seem to harm man city if you're successful from a business point of view good or bad thing to own a stadium beyond obviously what it's worth as an asset and difficult to sell of course um i think if if you're looking to sell to people from the middle east or people from asia i don't think they're too bothered because Certainly the, the mentality in Europe is the vast majority of clubs don't own their own stadium. It tends to be owned by the municipality. Um, I, I think that the downside is, is that you, they might look at it and say, well, how, how can we sweat the stadium? How can, how can we make more money out of it? And I think you're automatically constrained there. But it is, it is quite iconic. You know, to, to, if, if you are somebody from from overseas the ability to go and say to to your friends back home i own the olympic stadium in london or rather you know my football club plays in the plays in the olympic stadium but yeah. they're going to go jesus christ that's amazing hmm. so I, I i don't think it would i don't think it puts people off um i, I think the, the problem is is how how can you bridge the gap between west ham and those other clubs they've got the benefit of those six clubs above you they've all been playing in europe for the last you know 10 years or as well spurs is probably five or six um and therefore they've built up the international fan bases and and i and i and i appreciate what you said that they they sound like they've got a new commercial officer who has got his head screwed on but even so he's fishing in a much smaller yeah. pond yeah. than arsenal and spurs because spurs can say look last year we made the Champions League final. We were already in the group state. We are, we were already in the knockout stages of this year. And when you're going to big sponsors, 
that's where the money is. And, and I think people hugely underestimate just how important uh, European competition is. Yeah. There's one thing I want to talk about, and I'll let Nigel come in because I know we're, we're, we're desperate to ask lots of questions. I want to talk about debt. And the reason is sometimes I get really confused with debt because there's so many different ways to, to add up debt. But I did read a piece by one of your competitors, Swiss Ramble, when I was been going for quite a while. And, and, and looking at the figures in a number of tweets he sent out, I assume it's he, could be a she. Um, no, no, it's, he's, he's another Kieran. He, he and right. I mates. All right. He said, West Ham's net, I'm just going to read out, West Ham's net debt increased by 90% from 35 to 65 million. Gross debt, debt rose 13 million to 78, while cash fell from 18 to 13. Shareholder debt unchanged at 50, 54.5. Uh, Gold and Sullivan charged 4.25% interest, uh, 9.5 interest loan from Chip Smith, as we know. But the, the interesting bit, a little bit down, he then says, not net debt, West Ham's debt of nine, uh, 78 million is nowhere near the rest of the Premier League. And he, he mentions um, Villa, 217 million pound of debt, Brighton, 280 million pound of debt, Everton, 337, Man United and Spurs, 500 million pound debt. But the bit at the end that worried me the most, and, and, and I'll, maybe you can give me a little lesson on debt, is Sullivan said, West Ham were £110 million in debt when they took over, broken down £50 million to the banks, £40 million to other clubs, and the settlement to Alan Kerbishley. And he says, interestingly, using the definition of external debt, the club now owes £111 million now, including the owner debt. And he says then it's risen from £120 to £165 million. Can you try and explain to us why all these different figures for debt and what it really means? Right. Well, there's we, we've got two debt? types Let's of debt. Let's start with net debt. Net, right. Okay. Net debt is if you owe a hundred grand on your mortgage and you've got three grand in your bank account, your net debt is ninety-seven. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's what you owe the back. It's what you owe. The, the financial institutions less what you've got in your piggy bank or owed by other clubs i assume yeah so, yes so um, growing by but, our net rate increasing by 90 percent from 35 to 65 66 million is not a good thing it, it's it's not a great thing but if you think about the fact that, that west ham lost so much money last year if you lose money you've got to fund that from yeah. somewhere um, they did, I mean, West Ham effectively lost £37 million. They recouped 12 and a half from that, um, from selling a few players, but yep. they still had to cover the remainder. And, and what West Ham have done is that they've gone to this company called Rights and Media, and they have borrowed money from this company called Rights and Media. Allegedly and, funded um, by um, uh, a West Ham fan, a very famous West Ham fan. Okie dokes. Um, and, and what West Ham have done is they said, well, if we've borrowed money, um, you know, the, the lender wants some form of security. And what we've done is effectively we've promised them the next few sets of TV money from BT and Sky. Well, that can't happen anymore because my understanding, and I, I follow this a little bit because is the Premier League outlawed borrowing against future TV 
So in the accounts, it says they only can borrow against the training ground, the shop leases, the stadium leases. They can't borrow against the, the, the Premier League outlawed borrowing against future. No, no. Lo loads, loads of clubs have borrowed against Well, it's because it's offshore, though. They borrow from an offshore company. And the Premier League, if you read the accounts of what the loans, well, the charges are put against them in company's house... Right. West Ham stopped borrowing against future TV money and started borrowing against training ground lands and leases because a Premier League said we're worried about these offshore and this particular one is, is based in the British Virgin Islands through a number of different other shell companies. Um, that The Premier League are saying there's nothing, you know, the companies are all legit and they know the ultimate owner who's been put into books and is allegedly Michael Tabor, the very famous racing person, but they don't borrow against future TV money. They only can borrow against the the value of the land and the leases. Um, and that's that's what it says in the charges of, of Company's House. Okay. Um, right. The way it's been explained to me, Karen, is they pay, it's like an overdraft, and they pay 1% to have a, a lending a revolving credit facility yeah yeah and anything yeah, they draw down then they pay i have got it somewhere but it's like four or five percent so if they they have to for the whole amount they ask for they have to pay a a one percent fee and then yeah. and then they can call off call off money in, in 24 uh, hours is that normal and i know everton and people like that in southampton did it in the past are there any yeah, other clubs right. using this kind of deal anymore yeah loads of them yeah i mean I'm a, I'm a brighton fan um we do it right um because if if you think about the way that the football club operates and i think there was something very interesting um from david sullivan in his chairman's statement he says west ham gets 75 percent of their money for the season effectively by the end of july yeah so and, and that makes sense because Betway will give them a low, large large wedge of cash. Yeah. You've got you get you get uh, Sky and BT putting money into the clubs. If you think about it, this year's season ticket money comes from the end of from the arse end of last season. Yeah. So you've got all of these different sources of money. So when I think it's more concerning when you see that figure for debt for West Ham in the middle of the summer, that's probably the peak in terms of their their cash flow because they've just received all of this cash yeah and and then they're going to have to draw down on the overdraft facility over the course of the year yeah i think another, another thing which we need to be wary we're not wary of but just a little bit concerned about in terms of west ham is that they have been signing players but they've been signing them on tick so if you take a look at what west ham owe to other clubs when they left the Bolin, they owned £35 million on credit for transfers. Three years later, that's 87 So that's increased by £50 million. So they've not borrowed more money from Golden Sullivan. They have borrowed more money effectively from other clubs because when they've signed yeah. players, they've yeah. not paid cash for them. They've bought them on credit. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I know David Sullivan's well known for getting extra ones. Just to finish off from the deck, because I know Nigel's going to want to ask a question. The 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 gross debt, um, I think it's called, uh, rising from thirteen million to seventy eight. Uh, you explain the net debt. The gross debt is is it that we're owed? 
you know, the difference, which is 12 million quid, uh, or that's the 12 million quid we got from from players. Where, wh how do they calculate the gross debt? Is that literally what, what we owe without taking in net, con you know, net assets and, and so on and so forth? The, 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 the gross debt is what you owe to all all lenders. So there's 45 yeah. million to Golden Sullivan. There's nine and a half to... to yeah to chip and that that's in the us isn't it yeah um i think there's 21 was owed to rights and media yeah. and then there's a few other bits and pieces okay so it doesn't include because i sometimes see them put you know season tickets in the debt column and the what's owned to the bondholders and stuff like that that's not real debt is it well i, th I think the, the bondholders is is, is, it, is it about 1.95 i think it's, it's a, quite it's, 600 000, sorry six, 611 000. sorry yeah, yeah i got it yeah. here yeah yeah so that that is included, but it's 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 not, you know, with with no disrespect to the bondholders, it it's not, it's neither here nor there. It's 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 uh it's minuscule in in the wider scheme of things. Yeah. So the last, well, the last I don't I think it was 150 year payback. So they've still got about another 125 years. The last years. thing I, I want to ask on debt is, David Sullivan made a big thing. You know, this this club is on its knees. It's 110 million pound in debt when they took over. 50 million owned to the banks, 40 million to other clubs. He made a big thing of it. So by what Swiss Ramble says is it's the same 10 years later, 111 million. Now, granted, over half of that's owned to him and his other directors. Is that something to worry about? Was was it being overplayed at the time? Or was it because it was owned, 50% of it was owned to banks and you don't control those kind of things at the time? No, I mean, you know, Spurs owe 637 million to banks. So, and and and, and they they uh, Daniel Levy he, he sleeps soundly at night. He does not have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, I I think I think is that because they got the income stream to pay it back though? They they've got they've got the income stream, but he's also done done a fantastic uh, piece of negotiation. He's he doesn't. Have, it's an interest only loan on which he's paying two and a half percent interest for the next. 15 to 20 years so he doesn't have to repay any of the loan doesn't have to worry about it for 15 years you know and god knows what where we're going to be in 15 years time and what he'll probably do is just kick that loan down the road anyway so having debt is not a problem it's can you make the repayments on the debt the problem that west ham had um 10 years ago is that under the icelandic owners everybody was screaming screaming for their money back mm. yeah and that that was the issue not the debt itself the debt the debt's perfectly sustainable under normal circumstances but we had this global financial crash the icelandic banks were demanding their money back from the owners and the owners couldn't repay it so that the, there was a potential danger um of the club you know going going on its knees and, and struggling to survive um and golden sullivan came in and and they did bridge that gap um and you know and like them or not like them they they did it and nobody else did it yeah well i do want so, to talk so, about so, relegation at some point but i'm going to hand over to nigel sure I, I mean, quickly there, I don't know if you know, but actually when Golden Sullivan bought the club, they bought it off a bankrupt Icelandic bank who actually took West Ham as a bad debt off of the Icelandic owners. Right, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, is I mean, what I want you to do is, can you point at a club 
where you think that is the model of sustainability for a club like West Ham? Because uh, for me, even though Everton we look at, I think because they're funded by that owner, that, I don't know whether they'll ever run out of money or not. It's, it, that They seem to have been a bit uh, crazy with what they've done. Is there a club there? that you think that is the model that a lot of clubs should follow for sustainability-wise? Um, I, I think Leicester are a fantastic model. Uh, I mean, th- they've got the benefit of having won the champion, of having won the, the Premier League uh, four years ago. But since then, the owners, they've they've sold and they've bought. I think they've been, they've been cleverer in the market is that when they have sold players, they've got full value for them. Um, they've invested money in the facilities. They've invested. They're spending a hundred million um, as far as the, the training, the new training ground is concerned. And, and again, you, you look at them. You have Golden Sullivan is saying, "Well, we're spending ten million pounds on facilities on, on training facilities at, at West Ham. Leicester are doing ten times as much." Um, I, I, I think that they are a, a, a very smartly run club, and one of the reasons why they are successful is that they have invested in data analytics in terms of identifying players and recruitment and and they don't make too many mistakes whereas i think in terms if you look at where west ham have potentially gone wrong is that you've you've had managers come in and and was it was it pellegrini who pellegrino who um he he effectively chose the director of football. Well, that's that's completely well, wrong. Well, it goes worse than that, Kieran, because not only did he choose the director of football, but the two main scouts then was his son, Pellegrini's son, and Husilius is the director of football's son as the two main scouts. So it becomes well, very yeah. incestuous. The whole and of course that... when Pellegrini left and the director of football left, so did our scouting network as well, which is it all seems very incestuous. Yeah. I, I think that that's a fundamental flaw in the business strategy of the club because the whole point about having a director of football is that he sits in between the board of directors and the manager and he's responsible for long-term strategy and if, and the manager effectively then just becomes a coach and you've got the director of football. Um, yeah. I, I heard Dan Ashworth give an interview uh, yeah, he used to be the England effectively director of football and he's now at Brighton and he says um, he's not in charge of people. He's sort of the centre of, of a wheel and the wheel whirls around him and he just makes sure it's spinning at the right, you know, at, at the right, at the right pace. Um, I think West Ham need to look at their management structure, certainly in terms of recruitment and scouting and things of this nature. Why have they, they've made too many questionable buyers and I think the problem they've now got is that they've got moderate players on far more than moderate wages so you so it's going to be very costly to get rid of them the West West Ham's I mean I've long since said that um, the problem with West Ham's transfer dealings was they bought for the here and now and they never bought for the future and that what they did was they bought players generally around 27 28 years of age probably what they perceive to be at their top of the game to play for that season or for the next couple of seasons where you highlight Leicester where they managed to sell like Kante, Danny Drinkwater 
ship on players at high value. The same, as you said, with Tottenham. If you look back, uh, Tottenham changed was when they sold Gareth Bale. Yep. They used, they didn't use the money wisely, but what they did was ship them players that quick, getting good money back from, and then took the money they got for those players again and reinvested it more wisely in players like Ericsson and Lamella, yep. who did then come good. Where West Ham's problem has been, we've always bought 27, 28-year-old players. Even Payet, who's probably the best player they've signed, was 28 when he signed for West Ham. So you was only ever going to get two, three years. And obviously then, there wasn't much of a sell-on yeah. Yeah. value when it, when, it, when it came to it. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's a, it's a really good observation. And if you take a look at what happened in the summer 29 window, every single player who went for more than 20 million um, was under 24 in, in all of the dealings in the Premier League. The one exception to that, and it comes back to our friends at Leicester, is that Harry Maguire was 26 and they managed to to tweak 80 million out of United. United are, are just doing random buys. That They're signing good players, but they're overpaying them. I mean, I, mm. I do I do a podcast with Kevin Day, as you probably know, and he's yeah. a big Palace fan. He says, well, yeah, Wan-Bissaka's, he, he was very promising last season. But we couldn't believe we got 45 million for him uh, on, mm. on the strength of, of 35 games. Um, the reason why you see him diving into tackles and running back all over the place is because his positional sense is dreadful. Yeah. And while you mention wages, I assume you're going to say that, you know, the rise to 136 million in wages, 71% of turnover is not sustainable because we haven't been that high in previous years. Um, well, UEFA say once you go above 70%, it, they, they, they don't feel particularly comfortable with it. Uh, I, I, I think that level of wages is sustainable, but I think the problem that West Ham have got is that they can't go to the next level above that. Well, what so, is the turnover so, so, for someone like... It's not anywhere close to that, I guess, for Spurs and Chelsea and maybe the others in the top six, though, is it? Um. In in terms of the wages, Liverpool are at two sixty, Arsenal two twenty. So there is again that that huge gap. Spurs, I mean, a percentage of their turnover. What what is the percentage? Um, yeah, they're they're all sort of, you know, low fifties to mid low fifties to mid sixties. Yeah. Uh, so I think yeah that that's the problem that West Ham have got. Um, Everton are at eighty five. Uh, but then we, wow. Ev- Everton are being funded by two owners who who want. I say two owners. Strictly, it's only one. They've got <laughs> two owners who who want to take Everton to the next level, and the way that they're doing that is they're ju- they're just spending money. Well, while we're on the owners thing, and I just want to go back to uh, loans because it's one thing that often a lot of fans talk about, and that is the shareholder loans. So I think yeah. Overall, they've my figures are fifty-two point five million. They've loaned since um, since two, uh, mostly between two thousand eleven two thousand fourteen. They've paid some of it back. Forty-five million is outstanding. They def- it was yep. due to be paid back in January twenty twenty. They've deferred it again. They used to charge seven percent. They've reduced that to four point two five percent. I think in total, um, I think Swiss Ramble added it up. Um, 18.7 million yep. 
uh, over the years. This year they paid themselves 2.9 million, including another million to Davis Gold's company, CGI International. What they say in their defence, because the problem is people like David Gold and David Sullivan say we don't take a penny in dividends, we don't take a penny in expenses or salary, which is all true, yep. but, but they're taking millions in interest. And the, the, the excuse they give is that because they use companies to loan this money, like CGI Limited and, and Sullivan uses his companies, that the HMRC rules insist they must charge some interest. Is is that true in your opinion, or or is that a minefield to even d- discuss? Um, well, I'm 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 not convinced about that because Mike Ashley lends Newcastle United 111 million interest free. Tony Bloom has lent Brighton 297 million interest free. Um, you've got Foson lending to Wolves. You've got the you've got King Power lending to Leicester all interest-free. You've got Mashiri lending money. So, but I, others I, do I, charge interest, yeah? West Ham are not alone. West Ham are not alone. No, uh, I mean, the Liverpool owners charge interest. Um, At what rate? And it's around about two and a half. Right. Uh, I think Watford are charging around about six and a half from uh, from the Pozzos, in effect, from, from their Hornets investments. So, you, there's nothing to to stop a company uh, lending money, and 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 if Golden Sullivan wanted to apply HMRC rules, they could just go and lend it at the uh, you know the the base rate of of half a percent or quarter of a percent, yeah. whatever that happens to be at present. So it it doesn't have to it be. It doesn't a, wash saying a, that they're forced to do by HMRC. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not a tax expert, or, <laughs> yeah. but. But it's it's news to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, HMRC does not dictate lending decisions yeah. and lending rates. Yeah. Let's talk about because most of the debt that's owed to shareholders happened through Avram Grant and being relegated to the championship uh, in 2011. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a very good danger of us being relegated again. Um, what what would that mean? I mean, it's all all through the account saying it would be a financial Armageddon. We know that you get a parachute payment, I think, of forty eight million. The TV money's hardly worth speaking about. What what would financially um, being relegated mean to West Ham, in your opinion? Um, well, if if you take a look at your your three income sources, um, match day income would drop three or four million. But the thing is, West Ham will be at the the, the top of the championship. You know, f- fans ultimately come to watch winning football teams and, yeah. and teams that play good football. Uh, the, the, the trouble with being in the Premier League is that it's not that great. <laughs> unless unless you unless you are one of the elite, it's it's really not... Yeah, what, what's your ambition at the start of the season? To get seventh? Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no huge excitement in it. So... so Fans will turn up and they, they will spend money. They will spend more money at half-time and pre-match and after-match if West Ham are winning matches on a regular basis. So I, I think there will be a, a small drop in match day income. Um, the broadcast income would go from around about 127 to, you know, 45, 47. So yeah. 
uh, that's a parachute yeah, that, payment that, year one. That'll, that'll be the parachute payment. You get a hundred grand get... per Sky match at home and ten grand away. I think, if I remember rightly, that, that's correct. And and the EFL TV deal is worth two point three million. Right. So you, so you I, get the flat fee of two point three. You do get that even if you get the parachute payment, do you? Yeah, because what you what you don't get is there's the 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 Premier League pays something called a solidarity payment. Yeah to all, all of the clubs in the championship who are not in receipt of parachute payments, and that's about £4.3 a year. I mean, as a side issue, do you think the um, EFL undersell themselves? Because I, I think some of the football played in the championship, it's almost like now Premier League 2, to be fair, when you look at the clubs there. And uh, there's a bit of me that thinks that the EFL undersells itself. Um, well, but who, who else is going to bid for those rights? Yeah, the re- the reason the reason why Sky pay what they do pay is because they fear losing the rights to somebody else. They fear that BT, if they didn't put in a huge bid, then BT might come in and nick two or three of the packages instead of one. Um, in the championship, no nobody's interested because I mean I I, I think the championship is far more fun mm-hmm. as a fan because it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And at the start of the season, you don't know who's going to be in 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 the top six. You know, no, nobody would have predicted Cardiff went up a couple of years ago. Nobody would have predicted Huddersfield went up a few years ago, and so on. So, so it has got that degree of unpredictability, but it 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 doesn't deliver great viewing figures. Uh, you know, a a good a good Premier League game will on Sky you might get two and a half to three million people watching it, which isn't that big. A, a good championship match might deliver 450 to 500,000. Yeah. Because although it is, it, you, know, you say, oh, it's Leeds versus Forest. And I was quite keen to watch Leeds versus Forest. Yeah. It, there's not that many people like us. Uh, cause look, because for, for um, unless you are hardcore, the, the armchair fan just wants to watch... You, the usual right. suspects yeah. Yeah. who, who, I, who I, you know, I'm, I'm bored of watching. Can they, I ask they you don't a question? Anything to me. On, on, on yeah, this, sure. we got relegated. We understand on very good authority um, that there is 50, 50% wage drop clauses on everybody in the squad. So if we get relegated, the whole squad, their wages drop by 50%, which yep. sounds a good thing from a wage point of view. Now, the bad thing about that is probably at the equal time most of them have got release clauses as well uh, at certain prices so the likelihood is we'd lose Declan Rice we'd lose Philippe Anderson we'd lose Issa Diop we'd lose Seb Allaire and uh, uh, Fornells you know the cream of one would think the conspiracy theorists would say well actually you would easily plug the hole and make a, a handsome profit in your your first year, as long as you can bounce back from selling all those people and dropping the wages by fifty percent, do do you buy that kind of conspiracy theory? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um... I don't know, but I, I think it, it makes sense to have the wage release, to have the the, the, uh, the relegation clauses. Though, though what, I think, what, was that an issue with Jared Bowen? It you was. Know, it it so went, he was went to the wire, he, didn't it? He, he said, I'm not going to, or his agent said, I'm not going to sign uh, with that clause. And they said, everyone does that. And in the end, he asked for a relegation clause to say that he could be sold for 25 million if they were relegated so that's that's how it's countered out and i'm sure a lot of the other players have that same clause in you know yeah when they have a 50 percent wage drop they want the ability to, to leave and go back to the premier league as as long as a certain amount of money is met yeah yeah i, I think that's fairly i th- i think those release clauses will still be pretty decent from west ham's point of view so so west ham will they, they might not get as much money as they would have hoped but Ultimately, they're they're a, they're a championship club selling. If you, if you take a look at some of the deals that were coming out of the championship, you know, players who'd never played in the Premier League before were going for twenty to twenty-five million to Premier League clubs. So you've only got to sell two or three of those players. Mm. And if if I'm honest, I don't think Felipe and Felipe Anderson would fancy Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, <laughs> Tuesday. No, no. I've got one last. I know we've kept you for quite a while and we're coming up to the hour. Um, so we'll let you go, Sankira. I've got one last question for you. And, and the question is, valuation of West Ham. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I've been told by inside sources of what the valuation they believe it's worth. Um, obviously, Newcastle has been talked about being valued at £340 million. What would be your estimate of what you... In, in the current situation... What is West Ham worth to a potential buyer? In in the current situation, I, I, when when you've got to factor in, if if I was buying it today, I would be saying, realistically, there is a what one in three chance of them going down, a thirty yeah. to forty percent chance, maybe more. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd yep, yeah, you'd factor that into the price. You'd factor in the fact that you are not acquiring the stadium. Uh, and there's a limit to what you can do in terms of monetizing that stadium. Um, on the plus side, it's in London, and yeah. foreign owners love London. Um, so I I actually did uh, a valuation for for somebody who who was interested in buying two clubs, 
Um, and that was, uh, I did Charlton uh, and I did Palace. Uh, I valued Palace at around about 220. Charlton was around about 25. Um, looking at West Ham, I think West Ham would be in the 300 million pound bracket. And if they owned the stadium, I think you'd be adding on an extra 100 million on top of that. How about but next I think season? So let's say we survive. Beginning of next season, we're in the Premier League. Do you add on any more? I, I think, think at this, yeah, if, if, if West Ham survived for the end of this season, I, I think you can add on you know, an extra £50 million onto the value because they've automatically, they're in, they've, they've got all of next year's Premier League income coming in. Yeah. Would, would it surprise so, you to, to find out that the, the lower valuation uh, would be around, from, from insiders, around the £500 million mark? Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all because I, I've heard that figure as well. At the so, upper valuation so, being seven hundred million, I, I think the upper the upper valuation is uh, uh, very ambitious. Uh, well, yeah, you probably know bought, Karen Brady herself on her own website, KarenBrady.com, values West Ham at eight hundred million, and, and that's been there for some time, which I, I think is a ludicrous valuation. Um, but it's interesting, and and. I make it like you, Kieran. I think in the current situation, 300 million is a probably a fair price because, you know, Mike Ashley put up um, Newcastle for 350 million in 2017. He's still not done a deal. Now yeah. I know that one's in Newcastle, one's in London, but but you know, Newcastle's still a big club with a big following. And they own the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And and they stay and there's and it, and it's uh it, it's a one club city. Yeah. So yeah, th th there are some differences. I mean, I, I I know one of the guys that's been trying to sell West, uh, sorry, been trying to sell Newcastle for the last couple of years, and and they started off looking for three hundred million, but what happened? And I think all club values have gone up, um, following what happened with Manchester City just before Christmas. And all of a sudden, they've got this American tech company come in who bid $500 million for 10% of Manchester City. And people said, well, what on earth is going on? You know, that, that values City at more than United. But what City have got is that they've got clubs in Melbourne and New York and you know, Osaka, and, and they just bought a club in uh, in India. Uh, so that, so they've got, they got all this, they got this, this satellite approach but what this tech company does, it's, it's not looking at Manchester City as a football club. It's looking at those eight clubs in the group and the number of fans that they've got and the amount of data that they've got in respect of those fans. And what we're going to find over the course of the next decade, and it's something which you know, we as fans have got no interest in at all, is that <coughs> the most valuable thing in the next decade is data. It's more valuable than oil. So if you've got eight clubs in that group, it's worth a fortune. If, if I'm buying West Ham, you've got 60,000 people of whom you've got lots of personal details. Plus, you've got everybody on the membership list, everybody that's got on the waiting list. And I think that would count a lot in the favour of increasing the value of West Ham yeah. as, as a business. Well, I mean, the rumours are, I mean, there's, there's been fake rumours about the Saudi royal family and, and Red Bull. And I've been told there's no interest there. But Trip Smith is an interesting character. People are saying, you know, he's in it for the long term to maybe get a consortium. Uh, there's possibility that Todd Bowley 
is interested who owns the LA Lakers or 20% of the LA yep. Lakers. Um, they both, um, Trip Smith and, and Todd Bowley, were both at the same company around 2000. So First National, Boston, or, or uh, Credit Suisse, rather. Um, yep. So there's some interesting links there. I'm not saying that anything will happen, but the kind of owner, Todd Bowley, I think, um, bid $3 billion for Chelsea and was turned down. He he, he likes London, etc. Um, yeah. That's the kind of owner I think some West Ham fans would like to see in the future. Whether we ever see one is another thing. Yeah, and I think people need to be careful what they mean by investor. Because if, if you get taken over by a banker, a banker's looking to get a return on his investment yeah financially and funny enough you should um, say that because Bowley says exactly that he did an interview for Bloomberg which has been going viral lately and that's exactly what he said he said <laughs> if I buy something I want to get value from it and he said the only problem yeah. is other Premier League owners can see that value in other words he sees it as an absolute you know business investment of that can be sold later hence yeah. why it's easier to buy championship clubs and turn yeah. them into Premier League clubs than anyway, buy I, Premier League clubs I'm aware we've kept, kept yeah. last question from uh, um, uh, Nigel and we're finished we'll let, we'll let uh, Kira go to bed I, I, for me I'm, I'm just curious of what, what drove you to start your website and obviously now onto the podcasts um, are you an accountant? <laughs> um, I'm a university lecturer but right. what what I found was that if, I, if I'm – and I do general finance at university. That's, that's how I started. If, if, I go, if I go into a classroom and say, uh, today we're looking at Marks and Spencers, today we're looking at Apple, or today we're looking at you know, BMW, they go – they just start yawning. I've, t- I've got a class <laughs> of 400 kids there. If, if I, I'm, I'm teaching in Liverpool. So if I, if I go into a class in Liverpool and said, I've just seen Manchester United's accounts – guess how much they owe on credit to other clubs you're not going to believe this quarter of a billion pounds <laughs> everybody goes you have to excuse my fucking hell that's amazing and what i found was that when i started just focusing on the football stuff the kids absolutely love it and when i set assignments i say right let, i want you to just do look at football clubs they go absolutely crazy because they're all football mad it's a football mad city um, and on the back of that, I just the, the quality of their writing wasn't good. So I said, OK, I'll show you what I did or I can do. So I started writing the stuff up on the website. And on the back of that, I started tweeting. Um, and then three months ago, four months ago, I was approached by somebody at the BBC to say, I'm setting up a podcast production company. Um, do you fancy me running your, your, your account for me? Running an account. I said, well, I've got no money. I can't I can't afford to pay you. I don't mind it being sort of a flagship for you. Um, so we set, we set up the podcast, myself um, and this one of the guys, BBC journalists, and th- then I approached Kevin Day on Twitter. So, yeah, we've done we've done really well. I think we're getting about 25,000 people a week downloading the uh, the podcast, and I've written a book on the back of it, and that's sold out uh, because it's football. Yeah, well, this is your and... chance to plug. You know, you've been good for us with for an hour to explain the West Ham accounts. This is your chance to plug to our listeners uh, your books, your your website, your podcast. Do you, you want to tell it where, well, where, where uh, can I mean, we find it, you? I mean, the, the, the website's called the price. It's called what's it called? Priceoffootball.com. Uh, I, I, there's no ads on it. There's no nothing. I don't make don't make a bean from it. I just just write up. In fact, I've written up 
West Ham's accounts. Yeah, I swear I've got. Uh, I, I read it. I was intrigued because you made me laugh because you used the um, Cockney Rejects um, flair. <laughs> I'm a big um, fan. Of, big fan of old punk me, so I'm a big fan right, of the Rejects. Yeah, well, I did wonder that because it, it wasn't something that um, I expected to see. Um, and the uh, the podcast is were is called Price of Football, and the book's called The Price of Football. No, oh, nice, easy Simple to remember. That. Good brand. That, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, uh, nothing sophisticated about me. Not enough. Do you to ever get contacted yet, by clubs or cantons? Sorry. Do you ever get contacted by like clubs or cantons secretly, um, like putting you right or putting you wrong? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've been sued. I was sued by one club a few months ago when they they when they saw their ass with uh, one of the things I wrote, and, and and I just wrote back to their solicitors and pointed out all all the all all the claims that were made by the club I'd actually picked out from the club accountants, sorry, sorry, from the club accounts. Um, <laughs> so I, I do some of them do contact me. Um, I don't know whether you saw the stuff I put out on Friday. Where the uh, it was uh, the the v- VAR charges from the, yes. the referees nine and a half grand plus VAT, um, and, and half of that it has to be paid by the away club. Yeah, Tranmere so got stung. For, uh, was it Tranmere? Well, no, well, well, Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. not only did they lose a load of money because Liverpool made it kids for a quid. Um, and I think it was ten or fifteen pounds for adults because it was effectively a youth match, as far as Liverpool were concerned. Uh, but then Shrewsbury had a goal disallowed due to somebody's elbow being offside, um, and and they they got back to the changing rooms and they were given a bill for four and a half grand for the privilege, which for a small club, yeah, that's that's yeah. A, that's, that's a sizable yeah. amount of money. Yeah. Anyway, Kieran, thanks for being our guest on more than just a podcast. Um, I'm sure we want to come back to you in a year's time when the accounts come out again. Um, and, and yeah, maybe cool. we can have a chat in a year's time. Yeah, cool. Be great to. Yeah, it's been great speaking to you, lads. Right. Or if we play Brighton next season. <laughs> well, that would be it. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope it's better than the match that was at the London Stadium 10 days ago because although it was a three-all draw, the defending by both by both teams was embarrassing. Yes. We can both uh, yes, agree with it was that. More, painful, more painful for us, I would imagine, than for you. Yeah, well, yeah, I think our second goal was the the biggest comedy goal I've seen all season. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, thanks for giving up your time, Kieran. Um, <laughs> You're welcome, mate. <laughs> okay. Good luck. All the best Cheers. now. Bye. Cheers now. Bye. Bobby Moore. More than just a podcast. Bobby Moore. More than just a podcast. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.